This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 478 with Chelsea Stevenson. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 478. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Chelsea Stevenson is a professional henna artist, business strategist, and homeschooling shameless mom of three based in Baltimore, Maryland. With a focus on brand positioning and sustainability, she teaches henna artists and other creative niche service-based entrepreneurs how to build vibrant, profitable businesses doing what they love and getting paid more for it through her brand, Hennapreneur. She believes above all things that there is power in the legacy we leave and that this legacy is built every single day. When she's not working with her clients and students, you can find her shamelessly indulging in a good Netflix binge or whipping up something tasty in the kitchen. I am actually in a membership community with Chelsea, and as soon as I met her virtually through this community, I knew I wanted her to come on the show. I was immediately attracted to her energy and her story and just everything she had to say. And holy cow, having her on the show and having this conversation, going through this interview with her did not disappoint. So now Chelsea and I are best friends. She might not know that, but we're best friends. And I just adore her. I'm so, so excited to share her with you, share her story with you, share her gifts and her talents. I know you are also going to just adore this woman. So listen in to hear Chelsea share what inspired her 30th birthday bucket list to really conscientiously enjoy the life she's built already why she's chose to homeschool in order to honor her children's identity and create a safe place for them to experience their identity without being othered, 
how she has embraced defiance and what that has looked like, why she is building her own table instead of trying to find a seat at someone else's, how she's breaking cultural norms with her art and her work, why she shifted her professional work from social work to henna artist with only $32 to her name, the truth about making money from your art, her legacy around excellence is not optional, and why you need to share your art with the world and charge real money for it. I can't wait for you to tune into this. Chelsea is a gift. Her work is a gift. Her voice is a gift. And so with all of that said, let's welcome Chelsea to the Shameless Mom Academy. Chelsea, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join you. (laughs) Yes. So we met and I'm putting meet in quotes because we met on Facebook. So (laughs) we met in a Facebook group that we're in for entrepreneurs and I'm trying to remember it. Now I don't remember that very first post, but I've been following you since we've been in the group for a few months now together. And every time you share anything, I'm like, I need more Chelsea in my life. You are spicy and sassy and fun and also just a total like rock star, business building badass and a mom of three and all the things. So I feel like we have a lot to cover today and we need to like prepare ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, my cheeks are hurting because just hearing you say that, like the feelings are so mutual. <laughs> So, oh. <laughs> I've got this massive smile. I'm like, I love this. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Oh, it's going to be tons of fun. So I do recall the first thing that attracted me, and I don't remember specifically what your first post was, where you stood out to me, but I do remember one of the things that I noticed was that you, in addition to building your business empire, you have been homeschooling since before homeschooling was like mandatory because of COVID. So we're going to definitely talk about that. And I'm sure that's a kind of a current thing. So we're recording this at the very end of August. So this is very timely for me because we're going back to distance learning soon. But before we go into homeschooling and mom life, can you tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio right now and what you're most excited about? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. So Okay. So like full, like spiel, I turned 30 this year, right. Which was huge. And I realized when, oh my gosh. So I realized as I was approaching my birthday that I had mapped out all of like my goals and my dreams and the things that I wanted to achieve. Like I had these deadlines where 30 was the deadline. And I am that person who, you know, once I say that I'm going to do it, like I'm going for it. And so I get here to 30 and I'm like, well, now what? (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing now? You know? And so I started this bucket list. I gifted myself a bucket list book for my 30th birthday. And in starting this bucket list for this new decade, I'm shifting. I'm shifting in the way that I'm viewing life and the way that I'm engaging with life. And I'm moving my focus from things that I need to build and like having that literal to-do list of this is what I want you know, to create for myself to now, how can I enjoy what I've been building and how can I enjoy the things that I've built? Like, it feels great to have checked off all of those things by 30, but now, like now that I'm here, I've done that work. And so how can I really lean in? And so that's been really exhilarating for me in ways that I didn't expect. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm just giving myself more permission to say yes, you know, to what I want and to 
lead with my desire and, um, you know, to just step into a new iteration of me. And it's a really empowering place to be, honestly. So that's where I'm at right now. Oh my gosh. I'm wishing I was at that place at 30 because I'm now almost 44. <laughs> and I feel like I'm constantly reminding myself, like, you've worked really hard your whole life. It's okay to push pause and enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> and so to recognize that at 30, to be like, oh, I'm going to conscientiously enjoy the things that I've worked really hard to build. Like, you know, that's like 13 and a half years of joy like, more that I could have had. <laughs> you know what? It's funny because my social circle is all like around the same 40s, mid 40s and whatnot. And so and that's always been the thing for me. Like I actually I graduated high school when I was 14, went straight into university. Like, yeah. And so I've always been kind of in that crowd. And so it's given me also the opportunity and it is a, a great opportunity to have that sort of insight from people who are beyond me in years, but in the same place, if I will, you know, if you will, in, in life. And so I'm able to kind of borrow time from them by just listening and, and being able to lean in. Yeah. You're like, I'm just going to do it a little bit better than all of you. <laughs> because I see some holes in the way you've done things. <laughs> oh, goodness. Look, we're all just trying to do what we can, right? So totally, totally. So you're 30. You have three children, right? What are the ages of your kids? I do. So my eldest is 10. He's about to be 11. I have one that just my middle one, she just turned six. And then my littlest little is about to turn four in October. Oh my goodness. And so let's talk about life with 10, six and four year olds and talk a little bit about, have you always homeschooled them? I have. So have you like, you've always had your kids full time. Okay. So you've always had your kids full time and you're an entrepreneur building the empire and conscientiously enjoying the life that you've built with your new bucket list. <laughs> and so can you talk about being one of the rare people, probably not as rare as I think, but in my mind, rare people who have been homeschooling by choice all along? And what has this been like for you? Maybe you could even talk to why you originally started out homeschooling your kids and now you're 10 years into it, or I guess not 10 years, whatever school age it would have been. So probably six years into it and what that choice was about when you decided early on and what does that look like for you today sure so yeah like one i love that like it's wild that you have to make the distinction now like now i say i'm a homeschooler and right. i'm like that doesn't mean anything anymore <laughs> no like you need to have like a special badge that you wear that like where you're like actually qualified to homeschool because the rest of us are not <laughs> oh my goodness yeah well we're like we're the wild ones who you know just went after it. You have to be a little bit like a little bit on the crazy side, I think, to actually <laughs> choose to homeschool. So I mean, it works. It works. But no, so I did. I started homeschooling when my son was in pre-K. We started pre-K. I was at that time, I was a social worker. So I would come home from work and then we would do school in the evening. And when I moved into, you know, working with my bit, like opening my business and so forth, I just knew that I wanted to be able to have space in my kids' lives. Like I didn't want to, and I say this, I have to pause here and really just be like, please understand that I say this with zero judgment. Like there is no judgment here at all for anyone who chooses not to homeschool. Cause I feel like there's like that air around homeschooling. that's like, <laughs> Oh, we do it cause it's better. And I'm like, no, I don't think that it's better for everyone at all. But for me, like I knew that I wanted to be present in, especially in my kids' younger years, I wanted to really create a, a solid foundation for them and their sense of identity and where they fit in the community and how they create and how they think about themselves and how they perceive the world around them. I wanted to have an active role there. And I was really nervous and hesitant about sending them out into a world which is not, it's not the most healthy place for brown babies. 
right? Keeping it frank. And so I knew that homeschooling was something that I would want to do. I've never been married to the idea. I'm always like, I'll do this until it's not a good fit for our family anymore. And so that's kind of how it started. But for me, juggling the two, juggling homeschooling and juggling, you know, working for myself has required two things. One, block scheduling and a whole lot of automation. Because I actually have two businesses. So I have a local brick and mortar henna boutique where I service clients. And then I have an online sister brand where I teach henna artists how to build a sustainable business. And so in order to have those two businesses running concurrently and then also maintaining the kids' education, I really had to learn how to have systems in place so that balls are not dropped, right? So my local business is about 90 to 95% automated, and I'm working to automate as much as I can out of the online brand. It's not nearly as close. It's probably about 50 to 60% there, and I'm having to build a team around that, which is new for me. But yeah, that's how I've been able to kind of make it work with the two. That's amazing. And I think that the more you add to your plate, the more you're forced to systematize and automate things. And so... Mm-hmm. I think that we can get away with being messy sometimes when we don't have as much on our plate. <laughs> I found this just in like in COVID life that, you know, when I used to have like eight hours a day to work because my child went to school and then to aftercare. And now I'm like, I have like, I work in 15 minute blocks with a puppy and a child and a 14 year old dog. Like it's not three children, but I'm telling you in my <laughs> world, it's three children. <laughs> and so yeah, I'm like having to work in a really different way. And it's interesting what I've been able to accomplish that I didn't think I could when this all started back in March. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can survive two weeks of this. And now here we are six months later. And I'm figuring it out because the more you add to your plate, the more you do have to like move things around, compartmentalize, block schedule, all of that. So I love that. I think that's really important. And I think that we are capable of doing that in so many more capacities than we think, and which allows us to build, it creates space for us. If we can see that and own that, it creates space for us to build all sorts of things that we didn't think possible. So for you, it's being able to build a homeschool system that creates a safe place for your children to learn and embrace whatever identities they want to lean into and however your family wants to manage that. And for you to build two businesses and those are like big, huge things that you are able to do really conscientiously because you are open to this idea that I can add more to my plate and add systems and structures to support that. And all of that is supports my core values. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's really easy to become overwhelmed, but we have to like just mm-hmm. give ourselves a moment to take a step back and and realize that we really don't have to hold everything ourselves. Yeah. Like we can, there's technology now. Like, <laughs> and I say this, like having started, I mean, my, my first automations were literal Google forms. Like that was how I was first able to start maintaining a client list. And it's wild to see how that has transformed into what it is today. And so now when I hear, you know, from business owners and whatnot, that they want to do new things or even from just moms, they want to try new things or add things on and they're feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, but girl, there's an app for that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I got you. So it's right. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I want to back up for a second and talk about the identity piece and with your kids specifically. I really appreciate and want to honor that you are so conscientious about your children's identity and creating space in their education where they had the space and the safety and security to learn and explore that, it seems like, in a really conscientious way. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think this is a really important piece. I mean, it's really important no matter what. It's really important given where we're at in the world right now, though. Yeah, 100%. So I am mixed. I'm my father's black. My mom is white. We're from the South. I'm from Texas. My dad's from Oklahoma. My mom's from Alabama. Like we're Southern bred, right? And the stories in terms of like, just where we came from are vastly different on my mom's side versus my dad's side. And growing up as I identify as black, I mean, I, when the world sees me, they see a black woman and that's just the experience that I have. Right. And so in growing up, I, one, was always raised, I was raised by my father. I should say that my father was a single father. And so I was raised to be very proud of my history and to be very proud of who I was and how I show up in the world. And yet I would step into spaces, you know, where I would be seen first as black with, you know, from the single parent household or from this, you know, whatever community. And I always was othered. And the other began to be heavy. And I didn't wish to have for my children to have that same experience. I don't wish for my children to experience the other first, right? The fact of the matter is that they will be othered at some point in time. And that's something that's inevitable. But I didn't want for that feeling of being othered to inform those first part of their self-perception in their formative years. And so that's where I said, no, you know, I want them to grow up and be proud of who they are and to be very conscious of who they are, to be aware of their heritage, to be aware of just the goodness that comes from them as individuals, all other things aside, so that when I do release them out into the world, they can be comfortable and they can be confident. And so when that other label comes into play, it's not so heavy and it's something that they are to be able to navigate. And so that's kind of the background, if you will. I appreciate that. And I think that's really important. And I think that that's something that 
as a white mom, <laughs> this is like something that I have not had to have a lot of conscientiousness around when it comes to other people's children. And which is a really ignorant thing to say, but that's also the truth. That's the experience that I've been raised in. And I want, and I know many people in my community want to have more conscientiousness around other children's experiences and how we can create safe and secure places for all children to embrace whatever identities are meaningful to them and to be and express whatever identities are meaningful to them. And whether that is, you know, I mean, there's many examples of that in a huge spectrum of every example. So whether we're talking about race or gender or sexual identity or all those things, I think that it's so important. And I just really value that this is something that you've conscientiously created a safe place for your children, but also that you're talking about it and open to talking about it here so that other moms and moms like me, especially white moms can recognize that this is something that moms of color are being having to be really conscientious of and that we can now look out for each other's children better if we all have awareness around that. Oh, hundred percent. Can I tell you though, like I see this even in my own, in with my own mom, right? And this is something that even recently we had a conversation about. I grew up Christian and I converted to Islam when I was 21. So when I converted, I started to cover. Now the world sees me as this Muslim woman and so forth. I, in this recent conversation I had with my mom, she expressed that she actually, there was an element of frustration that she had with me constantly uh, identifying as black first. For context, like I said, my mom is from Alabama and she came from a racist environment. And so for her to have left that environment and married a black man and has black children, like that was the breaking point. And for her, it's very hard sometimes for her to see where there's still that underlying racism that kind of just get pulls in because she's so far removed from the blatant racism that she grew up with. Right. And so she expressed that, you know, growing up, she used to have this sort of frustration with the fact that I didn't identify as black and white. And it wasn't actually until I converted and she started that she began to see how the world treated me different. And it was then that it clicked for her that I was being treated different, even as a child. And she hadn't acknowledged it. She hadn't seen it. For her, I was just her baby, you know? So it's really interesting. And I think, you know, for those white moms who are out there and who are wanting to make decisions and be very intentional about inclusivity and intersectionality and making sure that they are providing safe spaces for children of all sorts of backgrounds, like just being aware that the work is always present, you know, even as you learn more, do more, grow more. There's always more underneath that can be done, which seems very daunting. But at the same time, it's an amazing and incredible opportunity to create a world that's so much better in two, three, four generations down the line, you know? So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. So your story is one of defiance, empowerment, and legacy building. So can you tell us about starting with defiance and how you have done more than people have expected from you? Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> I find language to be very intentional, right? So defiance, if we're going to start here, I'd love to make sure that we have a, like a baseline. Defiance is defined as open resistance, right? Open resistance against a thing or a, a concept or a structure or bold disobedience. And I love the idea of resistance, especially in today's world. So of course this, you know, it begs the question, what are you resisting exactly? Right? Like, mm -hmm. and 
for me, I think about, you know, that concept of claiming one's like proverbial seat at the table. <laughs> like, yeah. for me, growing up as someone who is from multiple marginalized communities, like I've always been acutely aware that my seat at the table was not guaranteed. And so most often the seat was missing. And if, you know, I'd be expected to kind of pull up a chair where I fit in. And probably like kind of like have to elbow your way in a little bit because people might not notice you pulling the chair up. <laughs> also that. And then, you know, like in the cases where the, where the chair is provided, like it would be uncomfortable. And it was certainly an afterthought, certainly an afterthought. So for me, I'm resisting, if you will, by creating my own table. And that's something that's very important to me. I wanted to build the table. I wanted to build those seats. And I wanted to invite as many people along with me to come sit at that table and to feel appreciated and seen and heard and valued. And so that's my act of, of uh, defiance. I'm resisting by way of the pay gap, right? Not only the pay gap between men and women, but even between women, white women and women of color or women of, you know, black women specifically. I'm choosing to resist, you know, systemic racism and the disadvantages that are placed on my lap just by taking space, right? By being visible. And more importantly, I think by creating an environment wherein my children can be afforded the opportunities that statistically shouldn't be in their cards at all. So for me, you know, choosing to be a business owner, you know, a black Muslim woman who's creating this empire and raising my babies to witness it with me, like that is about as openly resistant uh, <laughs> to this society, you know, like as you can get. So that's kind of where I stand. That's my place of defiance, if you will. I love it so much. And I am someone who's totally preaches like, you know, take a seat at the table and make space for yourself at the table and like show up at the table and sit at the head of the table and all that. And also, I'm not one to go sit at someone else's table. I'm like, I'm going to build my own because <laughs> I don't really like your table that much. <laughs> exactly. My table's prettier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My table is super cute and has way better chairs <laughs> and that are going to bring you much more joy and power. Exactly. But yeah, I think that that is so important and really, really powerful. So can you talk about what inspires you to defy other people's expectations? Is this something I feel like this is like innately in me a little bit, maybe a lot to like see other people, especially like middle aged white men building things and me being like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over here and do this other thing instead. So do you think this is something that you, is this something that you learned over time or chose conscientiously over time? Or is this something that is just part of you to create your own thing and build your own table and be in the space of leadership and having a voice and using your voice and all those things? This is in me. This is in me. There's no... I learned this. I was inspired by someone. Like, this is in me. This is in my blood. Like... yeah. For me, so I'll give you some context. Growing up, my dad would tell us a lot of stories about our family and where our family came from and so forth. And so one of the most important people in my dad's life was his grandfather. Well, his grandfather's grandfather, so it was, it was my great father, my great, great, it's five times grandfather. <laughs> but my great father, John James, was a slave. He was raised a slave. He's our actually di direct connection back to Africa. And he was raised a slave in Virginia. He was brought through Tennessee and brought into Texas, which is how our family ended up there. And John James was someone who, as we, you know, the world is now learning about Juneteenth. 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. um, he was someone who was freed at Juneteenth and he went on to do amazing things. He was someone who um, knew how to read and knew how to write. And even prior to, you know, gaining that freedom, he was teaching other black people to do these things so that they could empower themselves in a time when that that could cost you your life, right? And so the idea of leading with excellence, the idea of leading in general, and the idea of also taking this knowledge that you accumulate and giving that back to the community and sharing that and bringing as many people with you. That's in my blood, literally is in my blood. And yeah, I can't say that I would be any different had I not known that history, because I came to know that history a little bit later on in my life. But when I did learn those stories, it made so much sense why I operate the way that I do and why my values are what they are, because it all goes back to to the very beginning for me. Yeah. I feel like it's like the power of suggestion a little bit where you're like, I can feel this thing in me. But then if you learn the story behind your roots, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now I get it why I kind of feel it. And now I'm going to like go all in on it. Oh, absolutely. It was so affirming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome that you know that whole lifeline back because I would imagine that's a huge inspiration to your work, even though this is built into you, I would imagine that's something that you really hold close to your heart as you make decisions. And as you look at the legacy that you're building and how you are, you know, what you were doing with your family and how you want to be a good ancestor. Absolutely. How are you breaking cultural norms and building your own path to joy and success? Oh, you've already started telling us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, we can't even let me answer this in the context of the work itself. Yeah. Because so henna has been used all over the world. And I think it's important to kind of set this baseline. In the West, we are most familiar with the idea of henna and like through the lens of South Asian culture, Indian brides and such. And and that's great. But henna has been used all over the world. And it had a very strong presence historically and today in Africa. That's actually where it originated. And so henna in and of itself is something that oftentimes is ascribed to a culture that received it secondary, where here in the U.S., those of us who are, you know, descendants of this African diaspora and specifically, you know, those descendants of slaves and slave people, we would have used henna, you know, henna would have been a part of our ancestors' celebrations and self-care and so forth. And so it's so funny because today there are conversations around cultural appropriation and henna specifically. And for me, I'm like, well, I do this work because I'm reclaiming something that was stolen. I'm reclaiming something that was lost, you know, for my people. And I'm bringing it back and I'm reintroducing it to that same community and saying, hey, Queens, come sit down. Let me serve you in a way that, you know, you would have been served uh, had things been a little bit different. And so in that piece, there's some cultural norm, if you will, that's being broken and me taking this thing that was lost and reintroducing it and doing so very unapologetically with that added lens and context of the history that goes along with it. But then you add on the additional cultural norms that are brought on from these other societies that were also henna using communities. Henna art and the henna artist specifically is actually considered very lowly work in many cultural communities. And so it's likened to street work, which I have so many thoughts on and like there's a lot to unpack there and all of it is wrong. But it's not a profession that one would go into with like the idea of, oh, I'm going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to be very successful. That's not the way that henna is perceived 
typically in most Hena using cultures. And so for me to come in and not only say, hey, this art isn't just yours, it's also ours. So I'm claiming that. And also I'm going to make bank doing it. And also I'm going to teach you how to make bank doing it. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm going completely against the norm. But it all does. It, it brings me so much joy to be able to take this art and harness it and put food on the table and to teach other women to do the same thing. That ultimately is what makes me the most excited about what I do. And it brings me a lot of joy. And I think that, I mean, the success is just the fruit of that. Totally. So this is reminding me again of the first post that I saw in the shared Facebook group that we're in. And when you mentioned being a henna artist and building this empire around your business and how you help other people build their henna empires as well. And I remember thinking that like this is not the norm because of what you just said that like you're taking art first and talking about like let me teach you how to make money on art and that's just not typically savvy in the art you know like that's just not a thing among many arts communities and then also taking something that is like this precious cultural tradition and also talking about how to make bank on that and so I was immediately attracted and then you throw in like the homeschooling mom and all that but I'm remembering like how I was so attracted to that first post and just thought holy cow this woman is just doing all the things that I'm sure many people say you should not do. <laughs> and you're doing it in a way that is building a legacy that is showing other women what is possible and is giving other women permission to do the same. And how ridiculously powerful that is. Like, never mind the people that say you shouldn't do that or that's not appropriate or that's offensive or whatever. Instead, looking at all of the people that you are showing what is possible and giving them permission to go do the same, I think is the really important piece here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, with every opportunity that you have to empower someone else to take, not even empower, because I, I even with that language, right, those people, right, my clients, my students, they empower themselves, right? They empower themselves. But for me to give permission by way of example, yeah, that you get to create whatever you want, you get to do whatever you want. And so long as you're doing that with respect, mm -hmm. you know, you, I remind myself every day, I do the best that I can. And this is the literal affirmation that I use every day. I do the best that I can with the cards of the moment within the bounds of self-respect and everything else belongs to life. And so I try to share that with my community that you can do whatever you want. Make sure that it's well aligned with your values, with your integrity. Mm -hmm. And then after that, go for it. Yeah. Like there's nothing to stop you but you. Yeah, absolutely. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. 
I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So it's not every day that you hear of full-time henna artists. So can you talk about how you even got started in this and how did you end up where you are today? Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Oh my gosh. So my background is actually in social work and in advocacy. My professional background is all in in that space. I specialize in working with families who are dealing with domestic violence and sexual assault. And at the time that I actually started my henna business, I had moved from the DMV area, the uh, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area to Nebraska. And I was working with a nonprofit organization there. And at the time I had just left my ex. So I'm a single mom with this, you know, young child. My son at the time when I started my business about 15 months. Oh, my gosh. That's little. <laughs> he was so small. Oh, my gosh. Those are the good days. So like <laughs> there are so many fond memories of that time. But, you know, I'd moved across country. I didn't have any network. I didn't have resources. Like I'd spent my savings to make this move, to take this job and like all the things. And, you know, I don't have a community. The nonprofit loses a grant. I walk in on Monday the following week and they're like, yeah, we're done. Like we don't need you anymore. And I'm let go. And so, I mean, I'm the newest on the team. What do you expect? And so, of course, that's a really bad position for me to be in given all of this, you know, change. Mm -hmm. And so I had a tendency to put Hedna on just for self-care, being that single mom without a ton of resources. For me, I knew that if I could, you know, get a cone of Hedna, I could use that Hedna to design for myself, you know, maybe two, three, four times. And that would last me two weeks in between each time. Like I didn't have the money to go do the hair and the nails and the things, but I could buy a little Hedna and I could do something special for me. And so I obviously in this time. It's very stressful. I put some henna on and I remember going to the grocery store. And when I went to the grocery store, I I will never forget. I had $32 in my bank account and I'm at the grocery store with my son in the front of the cart and we're going around the store and I'm trying to find whatever I can find that's going to last as long as possible because I have no idea now what I'm going to do. Every mother's stomach who's listening to this is like clenching right now because it's one thing when it's just you, but like you also have a child there and you're thinking, how do I feed us for the longest amount of time possible? That's a lot. Exactly. You know, it was, I will never forget that feeling. I will never forget that trip. Like I just remember that trip just going through and doing the mental math and I, cause you don't want to face the, the embarrassment at the cash register. Right. Like, and at the same time, these are the circumstances of your life. And so I make my way through the store and I remember on that trip, people commenting on my henna and I was so involved mentally and what I was experiencing that it, it didn't click for me until I got to the register. So I get to the cash register and I'll never forget this young lady. I am so indebted to her 
just for the simple words that she said to me this day. So I get to the register and I go to check out and she is making small talk with me, of course. And she's like, Oh, you know, what's this on your hand? What is that on your hands? And I'm like, you know, it's henna. And you know, what's my total? Cause I really just wanted to go cry in my car. Like, I'm like, I just have to get out of here, you know? <laughs> right. Can we not be chatty right now? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, it's beautiful. She said, will you do it for me? And I don't know what look must have crossed my face when she asked, because I'm very expressive. <laughs> but she immediately followed with, no, it, I'll pay you. Like, I'll pay you to do this for me. And I was like, absolutely, I would be happy to do it for you. And that was the light bulb moment. And I literally went home that day and borrowed money from a friend and printed business cards. And that was the day that I started like marketing that I would offer henna services. So... It was wild. <laughs> I have goosebumps. That is amazing. It's such a good example of so many, like all the ways that we don't see ourselves the way other people see us. And like one person can say something and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I have a true talent that I never even noticed or could recognize or own, you know, that could be of service and I could make money from and just such a profound experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In a little moment. <laughs> yes, in literal, like a, just a couple minutes exchange. It, it really, it changed my life. And, you know, I never had the opportunity to do her henna, which it, like that kind of eats me up. Like <laughs> I would love to like see it come full circle and to have the opportunity to sit down with her and tell her how much that little comment changed the trajectory of my life. But, you know, maybe one day I'll find her back in Nebraska. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> totally, totally. So what inspired you to build a business around this then? Did it start picking up from there? And it did. You just knew it was the thing? It did. So it came down to independence, right? So like I have this experience now of being let go and like all of that very much changed my worldview. Very much. At the time I would have been 20, I would have just been 21. So I was still very green, right? In the grand scheme of things. And I had, I was still looking at the world with these rose colored glasses and it was like someone just like slapped them off of my face. <laughs> and so I realized at that point, like I wanted to have independence. I wanted to have independence. I wanted to have ownership of if this goes well, it's on me. And if it fails, it's on me. But I'm always willing to put the bet on me. Mm. So that's where I started. And because of the fact that I started my business from that place of necessity and not necessarily out of passion for the art itself, it really did set the tone for the trajectory of my business. I had to be profitable within 60 days or else. Like I had to do the things. And obviously I loved how henna made me feel, but I, you know, if I'm just keeping it real, I started offering the service because I needed to keep that food on the table. So that experience and being in a place where financial security was necessary and not just a matter of like, oh, well, I have the space and the time to fake it till I make it. That was not a thing for me. And since I didn't have the space to fake it and I had to make it with no exceptions, like that really caused me to take action in ways that maybe I wouldn't have had the circumstances been right. different. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would you tell other artists who want to turn their art into a business? Oh my gosh. So I tell my students from the get-go, treat your business like a business, like out of the gate. Yes. And do it early. Yes. I'm like, which I feel like is probably, I mean, I'm not an artist, so I don't know what they get told, but I, I sense that that's the opposite of what artists are typically told. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so much like, oh, you have to be doing this for so long. And like, you know, yeah. there's all of these totally ridiculous qualifiers that came from who knows where and have no 
like, they're not important at all. I'm like, no, treat your business like a business. You know, artists, we tend to be more creative thinking. And oftentimes we lack the foresight to consider what's coming, you know, in two years, five years, 10 years down the line. And so I always encourage artists who want to monetize their art to stop hiding, like stop hiding in the shadows and really step boldly into their creative agency and own their stuff, Yeah, own what they're capable of and own what they want from life and from the world and allow their art to be the means to that end because it can't, it can be. Absolutely. What are some of the challenges you've faced in building your business and how has that positioned you to serve your clients? So of course, like starting the business as a single mom, like I understand the whole time challenge. Everyone has this objection, right? I don't have time. I don't have time to get my business off the ground. I'm like, no, that's an excuse. Like miss me with that. (laughs) That's an excuse. (laughs) Right. I'm loving this because I feel like the time excuse is one that everyone I think can relate to. And it's not untrue. And also like we all have it. So And it doesn't matter if you have, you know, like I said, I have, you know, two dogs and a kid, which in my world feels the same as three kids. Like it's all relative to our own experience. And like my (laughs) version of feeling like there's no time is not better than anyone else's. And if you can do it as a single mom with a freaking toddler, then nobody else has an excuse to not do it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, it's just, we we make time for what we value. So I'm like, how much do you value your dream? Yeah. That's what it comes down to, you know? So there's that. And like, and I get to like, even the idea of, oh, well, it costs money to start a business. Well, I self-funded. So like, I understand having the hesitations around investing. Like I, aside from my little $25 loan to get those first business cards, everything was generated from my business inside of my business because I did the things. And so, you know, that's a challenge that I see a lot of my students and clients have is like, well, I, you know, is it okay for me to spend money to build my business? It's like, absolutely. You have to, the idea of being and the feeling of the experience of being undermined and being belittled. Like I've been excluded from opportunities because being a hen artist isn't a I'm, and I'm like air quoting, it's not a real profession, right? Like right. who really does that? How much money could she really be making? And it's really ridiculous. Um, but I've been in situations like these where I remember even when I was looking for my brick and mortar and I would stop getting calls wow. back as soon as I disclosed what business I had, because people just assume like this isn't, you know, this is just for play. Yeah. Like it's a cute side hustle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or imposter syndrome right? Like the fear of my art isn't good enough in an industry where you make money off of what you're creating. I mean, you're essentially birthing this baby into the world and then saying, Hey, I want you to judge my baby. And I want you to pay me for how much this baby. (laughs) It's so horrible. Like it's a horrible analogy, but that's essentially like as an artist, that's what it is. You feel like this is your baby that you're creating. And those sorts of that dynamic definitely builds imposter syndrome into the artist's journey. So all of these things are growing pains that my clients and students face. And because I've been there and I've experienced them and I've found ways to work beyond them, I've found myself to be very well positioned to help them uh, to navigate those things. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Can you talk about legacy a little bit more? So we talked about this at the top of the episode or top to middle, but let's go back to that. And can you elaborate on what it means to you, what your legacy means to you and how it informs your lifestyle and your work? hundred percent. So like I mentioned, you know, I've always been very driven. I'm someone who wants to lead with excellence and having the context of this is where I came from and that excellence is not optional. This is what you do. This is who you are. That's something that definitely informs what 
what I'm building and how I'm building it and the way in which I build it. So I think about legacy in multiple prongs. Of course, with my local clients, that legacy is holding space for them, showing them that they could, they're worth being treated, allowing them to come in and to fix their, you know, their proverbial crown and send them back out into the world feeling more beautiful, more respected, more seen, more heard, more valued. In my students, that legacy is, you know, providing them with the education and the support and the affirmation that they are able, they are capable, and that they can build what it is that they're wanting to build. And then giving them the tools, like the literal nuts and bolts of this is how you build it. And so when I think about even those things, right, on both sides, then you, you have to consider what comes next, right? These people are all people who are going out into the world after being touched by you or having this experience with you. And that experience informs how they engage with their own communities or their own kids or their own clients and so forth. And so I really do constantly think of that ripple effect. Ends out of my home, the first thing that you see when you walk into my home is a photo of my great-grandparents and also my great-great-grandparents as well. Um, so that you, I see that when I come in and I see that when I leave. And I'm reminded constantly that this is, you know, I come from a legacy of excellence and education and empowerment. And I expect nothing less than that from myself as I give back to the world. I think that that, I would imagine on days when you feel like not going all in, which, you know, as a mom can happen regularly, where you're like, today, I just don't have it in me. <laughs> but I imagine looking at those pictures and just having like an immediate connection to your sense of purpose and how, like how you want to go forth in the world every single day. That just seems incredibly powerful. Like it makes me want to go find the my family photos and be like, you need to be next to my door so that I'm reminded. I just, I think that's incredibly powerful and really, really impactful. For me, it is. It's definitely impactful. And it, and it is. It's very reminding of my purpose. And it keeps me grounded. And it keeps me just in a place of appreciation for what came before me in a place also of optimism of what I'm creating moving forward. What advice would you give to artists and others in creative niches in regards to taking their business to the next level? Oh, my gosh. And I want to say this with the context that I know many people are listening who are artists in a lot of different ways who have not given themselves permission to take their art seriously, to share their art with the world or to make money from their art. Oh, yeah. And now I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Can I tell you, even just this week in coaching with my students, like we celebrated the fact that some of us are no longer putting artists in air quotes. I'm like, you are an artist, you know, like it's so amazing. But no, you know, my, what I would say, what advice I would give is that you have to remember that one, you're not your art. People choose to do business with you because of you, not for your art itself. And of course, I mean, there's something to be said about offering top-notch services, top-notch products to your clients, your customers, and so forth, right? But you have to remember that if it were just about the art itself, people have many places that they can go to meet their needs, right? So if it just came down to henna itself, they could find artists all over the place. I have local competitors like corners from me, right? It's not about them not having access to what they need. Even, I mean, beyond that, they could go onto Amazon, right, and buy horrible, chemical-laden, you know, quote-unquote henna cones and do the art themselves if that were all it's about. But it's not that. Artists and any business owner, right? This applies to anyone. People choose you because of you, right? They choose you because you have something special to offer them. And I encourage my students to remember that their creative expression is a gift to the world. So I would advise to be authentic in your presentation, meaning literally just show up as you 
to be very unapologetic about your art itself and the way that you create it. No one can create it just like you. And to charge more than what you believe you're, that you should, like charge more um, because people will pay for it and you are worth it and you're deserving of that. And definitely just not play small, like stop playing small. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like invest in yourself, you know, growth requires stretching and stretching is typically uncomfortable, right? But you can't solve a problem from that same vantage point where the problem was created and so you need to have, you know, a new perception and a more expansive perception. So investing in getting access to that perception and to that knowledge, that's something that the future you will appreciate you for. And so that's the piece of advice that I always give. I love it. In what ways are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? Oh, my gosh. So I have to tell you about my quarantine stash. <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> okay. So with lockdown, we locked down early here in Maryland. The lockdown wasn't official until late March. We actually locked down in February because I just had like this weird feeling. That's a whole other whatever. Next time I need intel on COVID, I'm going to reach out to you about your feelings, (laughs) your weird feelings. (laughs) Can you sense when a vaccination is coming? Can you tell us when school will be in person? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I don't know. But, you know, at this point, I might be looking for those dates with you. Like, (laughs) please take my kids. Right. I know. I know. Your core values are going to totally change. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. So no, so like when lockdown came, I, at first it was like a little game that I would play. I would go like when I would go to the grocery store because it was the only time I would leave the house and go to the grocery store and I'd find like the most random item. Like, okay, we're going to get this can of smoked oysters or like just random stuff. And I'm like, all right, we're going to play chopped. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I love chopped. <laughs> we're going to figure out. Yes, it's the best, right? we're gonna figure out what to eat with this so this like what started as a game like then developed into this now I'm starting to find things that I really like and that the family really likes but like I don't want to share them right So, so the shameless mom in me has like this hidden bag of like snacks and goodies <laughs> that I'm not sharing with the children or my husband. He actually found my stash maybe two days ago. And he's like, seriously, that's where the access in there. <laughs> that's where all the smoked oysters are. <laughs> Listen, oh my gosh, I had all sorts of treats in there. He's like, yeah, okay. So that's kind of how I'm showing up as a shameless mom today. I love, oh, so good. I feel like we all have our stashes. And my son for a long time didn't enjoy the things in my stash, which are mostly dark chocolate. And now he's starting to enjoy things. And I'm, so I'm having to like restash things. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. I, you know, for the longest, I couldn't find dark chocolate covered honeycomb. This is one of my favorite treats. Oh, I've never had that. You must try it. So it's one of my favorite. I found it the other day and I'd been hiding it away. So that's what my husband caught me. I was in the stash getting a piece out and he's like, are you serious right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. But no, that's a little of my shameless behavior as late. So good. (laughs) Okay. So tell people where can they find you? Where can we connect with you and all the good things? Sure. Absolutely. So, well, if you're in the Baltimore area and want to try out henna, you can find me at cardamom and clove henna. But otherwise, if you want to connect online, I'm best found at hennapreneur.com. You can find me hennapreneur on Facebook as well. And you're welcome to check out the hennapreneur podcast if you want to just hear me and my antics. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Oh my gosh, Chelsea, this has been amazing. I feel like I want to keep going for like three more hours. So (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time. Um, This has been incredibly valuable in so many ways. And I just really, really appreciate you being open and vulnerable and really forthcoming in everything that you shared. I know that this was like a combination of like a history lesson and a business lesson and like a mom lesson. And it's just extremely generous of you. So thank you so much for being here. 
No, I appreciate the invitation. Honestly, I've had such a great time chatting with you. So thank you so much for thinking of me. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.